Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. What the truth? You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here are your hosts, Rob Dalrymple and Vinny Angelo. All right, I want to welcome you guys back as we are continuing our study of the book of Genesis. And we are in chapter two. And again, we're going to focus on chapter two for several weeks here. As we look at the themes in the book of Genesis, and well, we're going to look at the text itself, and then we're going to try to pick a theme each of these weeks to focus on. I'm hoping this week it'll be the theme of the river and the water of life that comes out of the, uh, the garden. So let's go to our notes here, there. And I put at the top of your notes that there's a biblical pattern, and the biblical pattern is chaos. Remember, that's Genesis chapter one, verses one and two. And then there's creation. And then there's the commission of kings and queens that you might say for divine glory. That's Adam and Eve in Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then there's going to be a sinful fall. We haven't gotten there yet. And there's going to be an exile. Now, the reason for giving you that, that list of five things there is because this pattern is going to get repeated over and over and over and over again. So it's not just going to be Genesis chapters one, two, and three. So the fall is going to happen in chapter three. Adam and Eve are going to get kicked out of the garden in chapter three. There's the pattern. It's just going to keep getting repeated. God's going to keep bringing somebody back in out of chaos. Of course, the waters of the flood of chaos, creation of, of Noah. And we're going to see Noah and this creation theme. He's going to plant the garden. He's going to have a tent in that garden. And then, of course, uh, he's going to give a commission at, to Noah. And then Noah's going to fall. He's going to get drunk. And then they're going to get sent into exile. It's just going to keep going over and over and over and over again. So that's the theme. So we'll just keep filling that in. So now we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 14, and uh, we're going to read just, just verse 4 to start with. So if someone wants to read Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, and if you all have your Bibles handy, because it might be good to kind of compare a little bit. So somebody wants to read, go ahead. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, NIV. All right, excellent. All right, so Genesis 2, verse 4. Does anybody have something different there? This is the account. Uh, New American Standard says that. Mine says these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. Uh, you got the created. ESV? Uh-huh. Okay, yep, uh, very good. Uh, NRS says generations. Generations, yeah. Okay, the uh, New King James says the history of the heavens and the earth. So whatever you want to fill in the first blank, and these are the generations of? Whatever your translation says there, this is the account of, the history of, uh, whatever it might be, just fill that blank in. But notice that that phrase is going to reappear in those verses that are listed there. Genesis 2, 4, Genesis 5, verse 1. And it's going to say, if you have, if you have your Bible saying, it's going to say, these are the generations of Adam in 5, verse 1. Then in 6, verse 9, it's going to say, these are the generations of Noah. Then it's going to have 10 verse 1. It's going to say these are the generations of, of the sons of Noah. Then uh, Genesis 11 verse 10, the generations of Shem. Uh, 11 27, these are the generations of Terah. Anybody know who Terah is? Terah? Abraham. Abraham, the father of Abraham. So what's happening is it's like 5 1, the generations of, Abra of Adam. You're thinking, well, wait a minute. Why is chapter 5 the generations of Adam when the Adam story is in chapters 2 and 3 and 2 and 3? because now it's telling you about his descendants. So the generations of Noah in 6.9, 25.12 is the generations of Ishmael, which is interesting, right? Because 25.19, the generations of Isaac, 
then 36, one, the generations of Esau, and then 37, two, the generations of Jacob. And of course, the story of Jacob, Genesis 37 is the story of Joseph. Now, you might know, and this is not a big deal, but that tells you, by the way, there's your outline for the book of Genesis. And you can tell that when they put the uh, verses in, the chapter breaks in, they missed it in chapter two, verse four, because chapter two, verse four should be the beginning of the next chapter. Uh, they got it in five one. They missed it in six nine. They got it in eleven and ten one. And you can see he kind of the, the guy who did the, the verse of numbers. He didn't notice this repeated phrase. And this repeated phrases like this are an author's way of giving you an outline or a structure of the flow of the flow of the book. So, and if you were to, to look at it more detail, you'd notice that there's actually ten, ten generations from Adam to Noah, and there's ten generations from Shem to Abraham. So here we go. Now, anything anybody notice something? We we talked about this before. What else is significant about Genesis 2, verse 4 that stands out in the, from the creation account that we read in chapter, chapter 1? It says, in the day that the Lord made instead of each of the seven days. Oh, very good. Oh, very good. So, in the day that the Lord had made. All right. Very good. Anything else stand out? Who did the making? Lord God. The Lord God. So in Genesis chapter one, Elohim or God, the word Elohim is generic for God. It could be any God. If we have no idea, it could be the gods created the heavens and the earth. We know, of course, it's singular because it's obviously talking about the biblical God. But in Genesis two, four, all of a sudden it says now the Lord God and the word Lord God is Yahweh Elohim. I put on your, I put on your notes, I believe Yahweh Elohim. Uh, Yahweh is ultimately the name revealed to Moses, although actually it was given to Abraham earlier, earlier on. And Yahweh is, notice the consonants, Y-H-W-H or Y-H-V-H. Hebrew has only, has only consonants. Hebrew does not have vowels. So if you ever see this written out with just the four letters, and that's why it's called the Tetragrammaton, which is the four letters. It's Y-H-V-H or Y-H-W-H. Y and W and V are interchangeable in most languages. That word Yahweh, when it's a noun, is a name. It's the Lord. And it means, well, yeah, the four letters, Y-H-W-H, Y-H-V-H, are actually the four letters of the Hebrew verb to be. You know, I am, you are, he is, we will be. The, the verb to be is the, is the verbal form of the same letters that in the noun form make the name the Lord. So when God tells Moses, hey, tell him I, I am that I am, he's giving the verbal form. And then he says, my name is the Lord, he's giving the noun form. So that's kind of this, the name there. So it's the covenant name that God has given to Israel. And so what's happening now is, is all of a sudden it says, oh, by the way, the God who did all that in Genesis chapter one is the covenant God of Israel. That is who is responsible for the creation. So now all of a sudden we get this second creation account, if you want to call it that, and that's fine. It's, it's another account. It comes alongside Genesis chapter one, and people make a lot of big deal about the things that are going on there. Let, let, we can talk about them as, as we go, but let's go ahead and read verses five through, go through five through 14, five through 14, Genesis two, five through 14. Somebody, if somebody wants to read that. I got it. Thank you. When no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground. But a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. 
Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flows out of Eden to water the garden. And from there, it divides and becomes four branches. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of, that, the, name of the third river is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. Okay, let me kind of start with the big picture, like the goal, and then we're just going to keep filling this in as we continue to go on. Eden is, and I know you might not, you're like, well, I just read it in chapter two and I didn't see this, Rob. Eden is a garden that's on the top of a mountain that is ultimately a temple. So it's a garden on the top of a mountain that's ultimately a temple. Now, to fill in the blanks, and we'll just, we're going to discuss this, because this is the whole biblical story. That, I mean, that is it right there. Garden, temple, mountain. You're going to see this everywhere in the biblical text, everywhere. The, what makes it a temple is the fact that this is where God dwells. So this is, this is where God is. God dwells there, and therefore it is a temple. Okay, that's going to be the first key. Now, it doesn't say in this account that it's on a mountain. Of course, we do know that there's, there's a place called Eden, and there's a garden that's in Eden. So again, we often make Eden and the garden the same. They're not actually the same. Eden is there, and in the middle of Eden is a garden. Does that make sense? The garden is actually in Eden. So we call it the Garden of Eden, but the whole thing of Eden is not the garden. Just one part of, e of Eden is. So let's, let's keep that in mind. The other thing that we'll, and we'll talk about this also as we go also, this story also is resonating with what we call ancient Near Eastern ideas with trees and trees that give life. And that's going to be really significant. That's just what the ancient world thought of. That's what they believed. And by the way, there's a lot to be said for that because the tree of life, of course, occurs in the book of Revelation also. And if you think about the fact that trees come up out of the ground, mankind comes up out of the ground. I, I heard this, this this week as I was reviewing some things. Trees take in CO2 and breathe out oxygen. Humans breathe in oxygen and breathe out CO2. We're the inverse of one another. And of course, if you look at the human lung, it looks like a tree. And there's a lot of interesting things there. And you're like, oh, that's making too much of it. Actually, not at all. The biblical story goes way farther than this. So we'll bring that out. Let's go to Revelation 21. In Revelation 22, because again, if we see that's at the end of the story, we'll realize, oh, everything in the middle is going towards this. So Revelation 21 and Revelation 22. And again, if I'm going over something, you're like, this is not making sense. Stop me. Let me know. And we'll fill in the blanks for you. So Revelation 21, we're going to start in verse 10. Revelation 21, verse 10. And we're not here to understand everything in this particular passage, but of course, we're here to note a couple key things. I have it. Thank you. 
And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So there you go. The new Jerusalem is up on a mountain. He has to go up on a mountain to see the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down. By the way, let me kind of cut to the chase on this. Mountaintops are the place where land meets sky, where heaven and earth come together. How's that? In the ancient world, heaven and earth come together at the top of a mountain. And you might remember the ziggurats that we learned about in school. At least that's what I learned about in school. Was it the ziggurat, the temple steps that go up and up to the heavens. Of course, the Tower of Babel was supposed to be this tower that goes up into the heavens. Mountaintops is where the heavens and the earth meet one another. That's why that's where temples are always located on the top of a mountain. So note, John's taken up to the top of a mountain there. All right, now let's continue on. And of course, if you go through chapter 21, the, the rest of chapter 21, Revelation, it talks about the stones. And of course, gold, the city was made of pure gold. Uh, verse uh, 20, the city was, uh, the street of the city was pure gold. In verse uh, 18, the city was pure gold. Let's go to chapter 22 now. Does someone want to read Revelation 22, one through four? Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every mouth, every month, sorry. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will, there will no longer be any curse and the throne of God and the lamb will be in it and be bond servants will serve him and his bond servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. I think verse four is one of the coolest verses in all scripture. They will see his face. Because if you go to the biblical story, right there, Moses can't see God's face. You can't see it and live. Ah, here you go. They will see his face. Does anybody recognize a couple themes in chapter 22, verse one through four that we saw in chapter or not themes, but I, similarities between Revelation 22, one through four and what we saw in Genesis chapter two that we just read earlier. Or some of the parallels. Tree of life and rivers. There you go. Yep. The tree of life and rivers. And most specifically, both of those, right? I saw the river was a tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit. And coming from the center of the throne of God and of the lamb was the water of life or the river, the water of life. And that's what we want to hopefully get to and spend most of our time on tonight. Let's go now to, anybody have any thoughts or comments? Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 28. And this passage is going to be confusing, so we're not going to go through the confusing part. We're just going to look at the, the things we want to find in this text, and then we're going to back out before we get stuck in it. <laughs> and I'm not cherry-picking verses. I, this is a major section, but to understand the entirety of the section will be complicated. So Ezekiel 28, let's see verse 2. Son of man, say to the ruler of Tyree, this is what the sovereign Lord says. In the pride of your heart, you say, I, I am God. I sit on the throne of God in the heart of the seas. But you are a mere mortal and not a God. Though you think you are, why you are as wise as a God. Whatever we're discussing right now, and we don't know what it is just yet, it's where the gods sit. And remember last week, we discussed kind of the idea of the gods and the Elohim and all that good stuff. This is where the seat of the gods is. Now let's continue on. And we're not going to discuss the passage because it's complicated. 
Look at verse 13 and 14. Somebody want to read Ezekiel 28, verses 13 and 14. Okay. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorns you. Ruby, topaz, and emerald. Chrysolite, onyx, and jasper. Sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. For so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. Now, we're not, there's a lot of complexities here, but here's what I want you to notice. What's happening in the biblical stories is they have an understanding of Eden that might not have come from Genesis 2 by itself, but later on, the traditions get picked up. And those expanding understandings get thrown into the text, and then they keep getting elaborated on more and more and more. So in Revelation 21 and 22, we notice that the New Jerusalem had all these stones. I mean, just 12 different stones and describing it. The streets were of gold. Now notice in Ezekiel 28, look at all these stones that were in Eden. Verse 13, you were in Eden, whoever he's speaking to, the garden of God, and all these stones were there, including gold. Now in the Genesis account, we only really knew about gold. But now, as we continue to go through the text, we actually have other jewels that are also there. So Eden is this place of jewels and gold. Now notice what else it says about it. And that is, verse 14, you were on the holy mountain of God. Ah, that Mm -hmm. explains why John was taken up to a mountain to see the, the new Jerusalem. So again, Eden is on a mountain. It's the temple presence of God. And it's where God dwells. This is the, and it's a temple ultimately. So these themes just continue to show up as we go through the biblical text. The next thing to note, of course, was that Eden was a source of water. And we saw that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 10. Let's go back to Genesis for a second. Because there's something very intriguing about this river. But Genesis chapter 2, if you go back to verse 10, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. Yeah. And from there, it divided and became four rivers. And you're like, oh, okay, that's, that's, that's fine. And the name of the first river is Pishon in verse 11. It flows around the whole land of Havilah. Now, again, the, the writer is writing as though his readers know what I'm talking about. And look at verse 12. The gold of that land is good. And the bedallium and the onyx stones are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. And it flows around the whole land of Cush. Now, Cush is Ethiopia. The third and fourth ones, we actually know these ones, the Tigris and the Euphrates. Mm-hmm. Ah, and it flows east of Assyria. They were rivers at the time of the writing of Genesis, and they were rivers in the original created realm. And you might go, well, wait a minute, I thought the flood, like, okay, don't, don't, don't go there. Okay, let's <laughs> just note this. But here's the deal. But Gahon, <laughs> that's the interesting one. Gahon is a spring in Jerusalem. In other words, it's not a river in Jerusalem. It's a spring. Now let's go to Psalm 24, 24, verse 2. I can. Okay, thank you. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. The rivers are this river that flows out of Eden that then waters the earth and becomes four rivers that water, water the whole entirety of the earth. Let's go to Isaiah 14. Verse 13. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I'll raise my throne above the stars of God. 
I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly uh, in the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. So again, note, I'll raise my throne above the stars of God. I'll sit, I will sit on the Mount of Assembly. There you go. Eden is this Mount of Assembly. That's where the gods assemble in Ezekiel 28, uh, verse 2. So whole idea, Eden is the place where heaven and earth meet. It's on a mountain. It's a temple. It's the place of God's presence. And it's a garden. And there's a river that comes out of it. Uh, and obviously, it's made of gold and precious stones. And including, of course, is the tree of life. Let's go back to Genesis chapter two now, and let's pick up the notes and follow along. Now, chapter two, verses seven through nine are about the events, for, about the formation of, uh, of Adam and Eve. And let's go over this quickly, because I want to go down to the, talk, the topic of rivers and show you what's happening there, leading us to Jesus in the New Testament. And then we'll kind of come back next week and we'll talk about the trees probably next week or the formation of Adam and Eve next week. So man's made from the dust of the ground. Man, the word for man is the word Adam in Hebrew. It's Adam. But the word dust is Adama. And then letter B, he breathed in him the not in his nostrils the breath of life. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Now that's going to be super important as we go through the story, especially like Ezekiel 37. What you see at Pentecost is God breathing on them and giving them the Holy Spirit. In other words, they are now filled with the Holy Spirit in the way that Adam was filled with the spirit and became a living being. So the word here means is the divine breath given to all. And it's not given to just to royal figures. So again, in the ancient world, only the royal figures have this. And the Hebrew word is the ruach, the word for breath. And the word ruach can mean breath. It can mean wind. It could mean spirit. It can be God's presence. The ruach was hovering over the waters in Genesis chapter one, verse two, I believe it is. The spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That spirit that was hovering over the waters actually now is in, imparted into uh, Adam. And then let us see, God planted a garden uh, in Eden. And the fill in the blank actually is in. So God planted a garden in Eden. So the garden is inside of Eden. Eden, not all of Eden is the garden. Mm-hmm. Then so it Rob, says, Adam, yeah, go ahead. Uh, is the reference to God breathing into the nostrils breathing the Holy Spirit into them? Well, it's God's spirit coming into them, but that would be the question of the day, right? That's certainly the case in the New Testament. At Pentecost. At Pentecost. Here, it's just simply this word, this breath, it's it's from God, and it's an animating spirit that gives them Mm -hmm. life. But we would say, we wouldn't say it's actually is the Holy Spirit in the same way it is in in a New Testament sense, where they're imparted with God's divine presence within them. Okay. But the idea of Adam and Eve being imparted with a, with the divine presence animating them is something in the ancient Near Eastern world only happened on the king, the kings, and so that was, that's what made them royal figures, especially in Pharaoh and Egypt. Whereas in the biblical account, oh, the animating spirit is given to Adam and Eve, all, all of humanity. Well, Rob, is there yeah. any significance when Jesus ascends to heaven? Since you know we just finished Easter, he says to Mary before he goes, "I have not ascended yet to the Father." I'm unclean. He goes to the father. Does his father breathe upon him? Is there significance in that when Jesus comes back down to clean mm. cleanse him from his sin? I don't think that's what happened because Jesus has no sin to be cleansed from. But he took on the sins of the world. Yes, that's true. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. All right. I don't, I don't know where you got that idea from though. I don't know. 
because he says to Mary that he hasn't yet ascended to the father. Right. And so it's like, don't touch me. I'm unclean. Oh, I don't think that's the case. Okay. He says, don't cling to me. Here's what I think is happening. What I think happening in in John 20 is Mary's clinging because like last time you you were around, you left me and I I don't want you to leave me again. And Jesus answers, don't worry about it. I'm, I'm, I'm here for a little while still. I haven't ascended to the father. He's going to ascend in 40 days. So you got, you got 40 days or 38 more days where I'm still going to be around. There's no need to okay. cling to me right now. So that's think, been a big misinterpretation of my, for my, I, I have an idea. We know we both know where you got it from, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. That, I, I've never that heard up. that. That's interesting, by the way. Yeah. yeah Rob, you, yes. Go ahead, John. Well, I'm just going to say along those same lines, uh, I discovered something during my readings during Easter, and maybe a lot of other people already knew it. But uh, when Jesus came into the room where the disciples were hiding, he breathed the Holy Spirit on into the disciples. In John 20. Prior, yes. yeah, prior to, uh, it just didn't register with me before. I, <laughs> I just thought the Holy Spirit was not here until Pentecost. But, yeah. Okay, so this might blow your mind a little bit. But I think that is Pentecost. John has put it in a different setting. So Luke is writing the book of Acts. And so he can put the Pentecost event in the Acts account. John doesn't have a a sequel, another volume. So he collapses what happens at Pentecost into the upper room at the end in John chapter 20. It's probably the same thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's it's probably probably the same event. Now you might go, well, wait a minute, you know, 50 days later, don't worry about that because John knows his readers know what happened 50 days later, but John's describing the Pentecost event because it's, of course, that they became an, the whole idea of John 20 is, is new creation. It says mm-hmm. in verse one and verse 19 in John 20 on the first day of the week, ah, it's the first day of the new creation. Remember John, the creation days of seven days in the gospel of John are very important. Yeah. And if you aren't attuned to that, we have a podcast coming up in a couple of weeks where we'll be discussing that. So uh, uh, does that make sense to you, John? Yeah. Okay. Back to the notes. Uh, Adam is then moved into this garden and notice it says in Genesis two, it says uh, verse eight, the Lord God planted a garden toward the East in Eden. And there he placed the man whom he had formed. So Adam and Eve were, or Adam at least was already made and he was not made in Eden. He was brought into Eden after he was made. So there's this coming, coming to the presence of God. Uh, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good. And I put the knowledge of good and evil or not just slash bad. It's actually bad. The word, the Hebrew word, uh, ra, whenever ra is matched up with tov and tov is the Hebrew word for good. When good and bad are put together, it's good and bad, not good and evil. And bo- no, both trees are planted by God. The tree of life is used throughout the New Testament. So I put down some references there uh, at the bottom of Revelation 2.7, Revelation 22.2, uh, which we already read 22.14 and 22.19. Uh, tree of good and bad. You'll see some references to it there, there as well. And then let's, let, we're going to discuss that later. How's that? Because it's going to come up in the next, because Eve's going to eat, Adam and Eve are going to eat from it in, in the next, what, what we'll do next week. So now we'll go to the four rivers, the four rivers, Peshan, Gehon. And I put down, there's your reference to Gehon. It's the spring in Jerusalem, the Tigris and the Euphrates. So it's this river of life. That's the source of life. So think about this. In the ancient world, it's, and it's just true, they, they look and go, okay, how does life come about? And the answer is, well, we eat from trees, predominantly, right? We, we eat from trees, so trees are necessary for life, and trees are watered by rivers. 
And so you can think of both trees and rivers as a source of life. And in, in Egypt, by the way, there was, a, there was gods and goddesses of the rivers and of the trees. In fact, there's a particular god of, of the tree. So let's go now to some of these references down below, because here's what I want, want you to see is this river is really significant as it continues to pop up throughout the biblical story. So if we go to the biblical story, they get kicked out of Eden. They get sent off in exile. God brings them back with Abraham. He gets sent off in exile. God brings them back with the Israelites. They get sent off in the exile. It just keeps going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So let's go to the book of Joel. 3.18. And in the day, the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the steam beds of Judah shall flow with water. And fountains shall come forth from the house of the Lord and the water of the valley of Shittim. And my translation says a spring will go up from the house of the Lord. or a, It's a well, it's a spring. The promise in Joel is there's going to be this spring that comes up from the house of the Lord. Okay, now let's go to Zechariah. And Zechariah is like the second to last book of the Old Testament. So just go to Matthew and then go back. Malachi, Zechariah. Zechariah 14, verse 8. And on that day, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and the other half toward the western sea. It will be in summer as well as in winter. There you go. Water will flow out of Jerusalem, some towards the eastern sea, that's the Dead Sea, and some towards the western sea, that's the Mediterranean Sea. And it'll be in summer as well as in winter. Now let's go to Isaiah 2. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. To note that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord. So again, the house of the Lord, which is the temple, is on a mountain. That's Eden language then. And it'll be established as chief of the mountains. So mountains can mean temples, the place where God dwells and mountains can also be the capital city of a nation. So mountains might also be nations. So remember Jesus says, if you say to this mountain, be thrown, cast in the sea, it will be done. He's using this imagery of mountains in relationship to nations. So mountain can be a nation or it can be a place where the temple is. So it can represent the place where God, it could be a good mountain. It could be Israel. It could be God's temple or it could be a bad mountain. It could be pagan nations and pagan mountains and pagan temples. So the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as chief of them and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. So now notice the people are being described as river, as water. The nations are going to do what water does, but they're going to stream to it. But notice it's actually, this doesn't make sense because rivers can't stream uphill. But again, it's this imagery of the nations streaming to this end times eschatological temple, Eden, Jerusalem, New Jerusalem, New Creation. Okay, so that's the context. Now, we already read Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5, or 1, 2, and 3. And there was a river that flowed from the throne of God. And on either side of the river was a tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit. Now we're going to go to Ezekiel 40. So what we just did was to prepare you for Ezekiel 40. So I hope that makes sense. Here's our context. Eden's on a mountain. There's a river that flows out of Eden and it waters all of creation. That's, it's the river of life. It's the temple presence of God. 
that was lost because of sin. Adam and Eve were kicked out of it. And the prophets are now saying, in the last days, there'll be a, a river that flows out of, well, out of Eden, essentially. Of course, it's the new Eden and the new creation. And it's going to water this new creation. It's going to even go both directions. So now huh. we're going to go to Ezekiel 40. So here's <laughs> what you'll notice, though. And that is Ezekiel 40 through 48. It's really funny. If you go on a, um, Amazon and do a book search for like the third temple, all these books on Ezekiel 40 through 48 are going to come up. If you just like the end times temple, all these books on Ezekiel 40 through 48 are going to come up. What's being described here in Ezekiel 40 through 48, these nine chapters, is this temple. But it's a temple. And no, in Ezekiel chapter 40, uh, verse 2, if somebody wants to read verse 2. Ezekiel 40, verse 2. In visions of God, he took me to the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain on whose south side were some buildings that looked like a city. Every, whenever you see, hopefully if we're learning anything from tonight, whenever you see a very high mountain, immediately go, okay, it's a temple. A very high mountain means this is a temple structure. But it's not only a temple. Or on a mountain, it's like a city. And remember Revelation 22? He showed me the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Yeah. 22 verses, I'm sorry, 21 verses 10 and 11. He carried me to a mountain and he showed me the holy city, new Jerusalem. So that's Revelation 20, 21 and 22. It's this city on a mountain that's a temple and there's a river in it and the tree of life is there. So now if we keep going, and now by the way, this is not, well, I'm going to tell you the answer. Uh, Ezekiel 40 through 48 is not some futuristic temple. It's going to be rebuilt by the Jewish people in the last days. It's Jesus. That's your answer. It's Jesus. Okay. And it's the new Jerusalem. If you want to go that way also. And it's also the new Jerusalem. Now let's go to chapter 47. What happens by the way, is you get this description of this temple. He measures it and all the sides of it. And there's all these great things about it. And the glory of God's there. And it's a temple, but it's also a city. We know it's a city too. Now I'll go to chapter 47, and I'm going to go ahead and read because I'm going to skip over some different verses. Verse 1, he brought me to the back door of the house. Now the word house obviously is the word for the, it's referring to the temple. It's the temple building itself. And behold, water was flowing from under the threshold of the house toward the east for the house faced east. And now we know it's a temple because all temples faced east. So we, we know it's a temple. And water's flowing out. I'm like, oh, that's the water from Joel 3.18. That's the water from Zechariah 14, verse 8. That's the water from Isaiah chapter 2, which was the people's flowing to it. This is the water of Eden. It, it, this has to be what it is, right? End of verse 2, the very end of verse 2. It says, and behold, water was trickling from the south side. So there's just a little bit of water coming out of this temple. Verse 3. When the man uh, toward the, uh, went out toward the east with a line in his hand, it's a measuring line. It's just a... A measuring line or a measuring rod is what a prophet has to signify the divine protection of whatever is being measured. So I'll say it again in case you want to write that down. A measuring rod is what a prophet has to measure something, and whatever he measures is divinely protected. So you'll see a measuring rod in, in Ezekiel chapter 9. You see a, me a measuring rod in Zechariah chapters 1 and 2. And you'll see a measuring rod in Revelation chapter 11. The two witnesses are, are measured or the temple is measured. And it's, it means it's under God's divine protection. 
So note what happens. He has a measuring line in his hand and he measured a thousand cubits. Remember a cubits, one and a half feet. And he led me through the water, water reaching the ankles. So this river's getting deeper. Now let's stop because that can't happen. Rivers can't get deeper unless water's being added to it. But since this river's coming from the temple, I doubt water's being added to it. But that tells you what's going on. Now look what happens, verse four. He measured a thousand and he measured the water and the water was reaching the knees. It's getting way deeper. Verse five, it says, he measured a thousand. It was a river that I couldn't swim. I couldn't ford for the water had risen enough water to swim in a river that could not be forded. And in verse six, son of man, have you seen this? And he brought me to the bank of the river. All right, now let's skip on down. Uh, verse eight, these waters go out toward the Eastern region. Now, what's east of Jerusalem? The Dead Sea. The Dead Sea. Yeah. And the Dead Sea is in the desert. And the Hebrew word for desert is Arabah. These waters go out toward the eastern region. They go down toward the Arabah, which just means that the New American Standard decided to not translate the word. Because the word just means desert. And your Bible might say, your translations might say desert. They go toward the sea. But the sea in the desert on the east is the Dead Sea. Now, let me stop. If you know anything about the Dead Sea, how many of you guys, I know Anthony's been there. Uh, Gracie, you've been there, right? Yeah. Anybody else been to the Dead Sea? Right. There's a reason why they call it the Dead Sea. Uh, uh, Karuna, oh, yeah, that's right. You have been there, uh, brother. That's right. Uh, Karuna Kar's been there. The reason why they call it the Dead Sea is because everything in it is dead. Like there is nothing, I'm no exaggerate. There is nothing living in it. Oh my if, you, God. if you go there, it's got like 37% salt content. And like the Salt River, I think in Nevada, wherever it is, has like 6% salt content and we call it the salt river. So this tells you how much salt is in it. You cannot sink. There's so many minerals in the Dead Sea, you cannot sink. Now what you, by the way, when you go in the Dead Sea, make sure water does not splash in your eyes because it will burn like nothing ever. I was gonna say, make sure you're not freshly shaven either. <laughs> yeah, and, and I always say, ladies don't shave your legs or whatever because if you have any cuts, it will, it will hurt. Yeah. It's, it's also, by the way, you stand up in the, in the sea, like you're not touching the bottom, you're standing up and it's hard to keep your feet underneath you because they just, they just want to go, like, go up because you just float and you can't do anything about it, but, but float. That's the Dead Sea. So that's what we're talking about. So here we go. Middle of verse eight. And they go toward the sea being made to flow into the sea and the waters of the sea become fresh. So this mm -hmm. is like some supernatural water. It's coming from the temple though. And it's becoming bigger and deeper and deeper, deeper without tributaries adding to it. And it makes the Dead Sea fresh water. And look what happens. Every living creature that swarms in every place where the river goes will live. There'll be very many fish for these waters go there and the other waters become fresh so that everything will live where the river goes. And it'll come about that there will be fishermen that will stand beside it from Engedi to Engelheim. Engedi's on the, well, Engedi used to be on the shore of the Dead Sea, but the Dead Sea has actually evaporated so much that Engedi's like, I don't know, maybe even a mile inland now. It's not close to the sea. It's not close to the shore. It, it's kind of close, but you have, you have to drive almost to get to the, to get to the Dead Sea from there. Uh, there'll, there'll be a place for spreading of nets. There'll be fish according to their kinds. According to their kinds? Why would yeah. he say that? Where do we hear according to their kinds from? Noah. Oh. Well, no, not, well, that, that's true no. too, yeah. But Noah did according to his kinds because of course it comes from Genesis yeah. 1. Yeah, yeah, Genesis 1. Uh, there'll be fish of the great sea, uh, very many but its swamps and marshes will not become fresh for they'll be left for salt. And by the river on its bank, 
on either side of the river will grow all kinds of trees for food and their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They'll bear every month because their water, their water flows from the sanctuary and their fruit will be food and their leaves for healing. Now, if you remember, and you might not, but Revelation 22 verses one, two, and three, there was actually only one tree in Revelation 22 and it was on both sides of the river. And you're like, how can you get a tree on both sides? Or, oh, it's, it's uh, roots must go underneath. It doesn't matter. That's not the point. In, Re- in Ezekiel, you have trees on both sides of the river. The river comes from the sanctuary. We know it's from the sanctuary. Now it's explicit here, even though we knew it came from the temple because the house faced east and it flowed from the, from the threshold of the house. And it brings healing and life everywhere it goes. It's the river of life. So much so that if you eat from the trees, it will cause healing of the nations. And that's exactly what Revelation 22 says. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. This is the tree of life. This is Eden imagery. Now, let's go to the gospel of John. And I'm just going to tell you about, so I have two, three, four, seven, 13, and 19 on the notes. In Revelation chapter, in John chapter two, Jesus turns water into wine. So there's water. In John chapter three, he tells, he tells Nicodemus, you must be born of water in the spirit. Oh, there's water again. In John four, he meets a woman in a well. And he says, you should have asked me and I give you living water and it will spring up. In fact, he quotes Joel 318. That's why I put Joel 318 on the, well, I put Joel four on the notes, but that's why we meant Joel 318. Jesus actually quotes Joel 318 and says, it will be a spring of water living up and you'll never thirst again. If you drink from this river, you'll never thirst again. Well, what river could he have in mind? Well, the river that flowed out of Eden or the river from Ezekiel, because they both are the same, right? I mean, it's it's the same thing. Then in John 7, we get the answer. John 7, I didn't give you the reference here, but it's verses 37 through 38. John 7, 37 through 38, if somebody wants to read this. Thank you. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. There you go. Oh, I'm sorry. Verse 39, too. Yep. Verse 39. Kind of important. (laughs) But this he said in reference to the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. There you go. Ah, it's the Holy Spirit. If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, shall, the scripture said, shall from, uh, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit. Ah, it's the Holy Spirit. Now we go to John chapter 19, and we get the answer. And we want to look at verse 34. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. And why is water coming out? Because Jesus is the temple of God. John 2, verses 19 through 21. I mean, so in John 2, he established that he's the temple of God. He turns water into wine. I'm the temple of God. You must be born of water and the spirit. You should have asked me and I give you living water. But this he spoke of the spirit who had not yet been given. And they pierced his side. And of course, there's all these medical reasons. Oh, he died from a heart attack. And that's why blood and water come out of his... That's not what I, what John's trying to get at, though. That might be medically true, why water flowed out of his side because he had a heart attack. Oh, that's fine. But because Jesus is the source of living water, and it's a reference to the Holy Spirit. 
and the Holy Spirit is the source of, the, of, of living water. And of course, Revelation 22, no, in Revelation 22, it says, the, the river of, of life came from the throne of God and of the lamb. There's the God and there's the lamb and there's the river flowing from it. It's not a river, folks. It's the Holy Spirit. The lamb and God, their throne, from that throne proceeds a river. It's the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And the Holy Spirit is the source of life. The whole point now is you have these themes that happen in Genesis 2 of Eden, of Eden being a garden temple up on a mountain, and from it, this water, source of water, which brings life, waters the earth. Adam and Eve are kicked out of that garden presence. And now the question is, well, how are we going to get back there? Because we need to drink from the river of life or eat from the tree of life in order to live. And then the prophets come along and say, oh, guess what? There'll be a day when the spring will come up from Zion and, or from Jerusalem will be the chief of all the mountains. And ultimately, it's Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the tree of life. I am the temple of God. I am the source of, of the river of water of life. And of course, ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit. That's this theme that's running through the scriptures. And then obviously in the, in the book of Revelation 22. The river of life comes from the throne of God. Does that make sense? Very humbling. Okay. Yeah. Well, it gets better because now what we'll do next week is we'll look at the theme of Eden and temple imagery. And we'll probably do the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then we'll look at Adam and Eve and the formation of Adam and Eve the week after that. So next week we'll probably probably do Eden as a temple. Reiterate that a little bit more. We'll look at, we'll look at the first Corinthians and then we'll go to the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil and what's going on with that. And yeah. they're everywhere. The trees are every, if you just read Genesis, you can find trees everywhere. And the significance of that. So right, any questions, comments, thoughts? The symbolism is profound because I, I have a video one time and it was showing, it was talking about atonement and specifically the day of atonement, but they brought the animals in, they sacrificed and there was blood. There was troughs that flowed away from the area of atonement. But once the, the process was over and all the blood had flowed out, they actually took fresh water yeah. and they washed everything out. So the right. temple flowed both blood and water. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the reason why water, one of the reasons why water is so significant is because water is cleansing, it's purifying, mm -hmm. right? Now remember living water is a, is a river. It's living water is water that's moving. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please subscribe to and like our podcast. You can follow Rob's blog at determinedtruth.com or purchase his books on amazon.com. See you next time.